Hey, good morning, Sycamore View. It's great to see all of you in person. So grateful for all of you joining us online today. Thank you for participating in this worship service. At the end of our freshman year, Casey and I both were kind of dating other people, but we also kind of liked each other. And we were both going to be working at a church, two different churches, as interns after our freshman year. So I called her. We didn't have text messaging capability back then, but I called her and said, you want to go to Sonic so we can pray over our summers? Right, this wasn't my way to use God to spend some time with Casey, but it was good to have at least a little time together. So we did. We went to Sonic, drank a couple of shakes as we prayed over our summer. And as we began to pray, uh, we held hands because the Bible doesn't say that God hears our prayers best when we hold hands, but it is implied that God hears our prayers best when we hold hands. And we prayed over each other summer and stayed in touch with each other a little bit. And then came our sophomore year, and then we started dating. And after our first official date, it's hard to know like which one was really our first date, but after our official date, I went to Mardell Christian Bookstore before that date. We went out to eat, and I had bought a prayer candle, where after our meal, we went into a room, and we sat down together, and we prayed for 30 minutes. This is not code language for cuddling or making out for 30 minutes, all right? We had a prayer candle, we went in a room, and we decided, hey, 30 minutes, we're going to pray. And we lit this candle, and we just went back and forth. I would pray, she would pray. One of us would give thanks to God for things, the other one would give thanks. We prayed for our friends, the other one prayed for our friends. We prayed for each other, for 30 minutes we prayed. And you may hear this, and you're like, what kind of weirdos do something like that on their first date? Like, is this just a preacher who is spiritualizing or, or embellishing some story? And it's not. Like, we, like I, I, look, Casey and I have plenty of imperfections in our lives and in our relationship. One of us is very patient and kind and has self-control and is very passionate and writes sermons as somebody preaches the other week, every week, and the other one is me, all right? So, but there are some imperfections. But what we knew then, we were mature enough to know this, if that relationship was going to go anywhere, we had to have Jesus as the foundation of who we were. Like, we knew that. We didn't know if this was going to go somewhere, but if it were to go somewhere, we knew we had to have Jesus as the foundation, which is true for churches all over the world. You can be a church that tries to serve well, but if you're a church that isn't committed to pray, is there going to be any longevity in the life of your church? You can be a church that tries to do relationships well, fellowship well, even some forms of worship well, but if there's not a commitment to prayer, is it going to last? Jesus is the one who said, my house should be a house of, house of prayer. Jesus didn't say this should be a house of preaching or a house of service or a house of studying. Is this important as those things are? Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer. And we don't ever want to treat prayer like it's just what you do at the beginning of a meeting or what you do at the beginning of church just to kind of get that out of the way so we can get on to other things. It's, it's the lifeblood. It's who we are. Like we've, we've got to treat church like what we do, like how we pray. Eternity is on the line. So here in a couple of weeks, in a week and a half, we're going to engage in an 84-hour prayer effort. We've done these before. 84 hours, one-hour slots for individuals or families or life groups or friends to commit to one hour of prayer. We've done this before. We've done 84 hours. We've done 168 hours. We've had seven straight days of around-the-clock prayer before. We've done hour slots. We've done 30-minute slots before. And we haven't done this since COVID. So on April 5th at 8 o'clock, 
all the way to Easter morning at 8 a.m. For 84 hours, we're going to have a round-the-clock prayer. Unbroken time of prayer for us as a church to cry out to God for awakening, for breakthrough, for God to work in the lives of people in this church. So for 84 hours, we're going to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and I've quoted this some over the last few weeks, but this has become something I've just been hanging on to for weeks. And in it, what it promises is that in every situation, like don't be anxious, but in every situation in your life, like by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, you offer all of your requests to God. And I love the promise that comes with it, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you love the thought of your heart and your mind being guarded by the peace of God? Like for the heart and the mind of this church being guarded by the peace of God. So for 84 hours, we're going to pray. And here's how it's going to happen this time. It's going to be just a little different from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. In this space right here in this worship center, this is going to be where we pray. So if you commit to an hour from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., you will come to the church where a shepherd or a minister will let you in. You'll come into this, and this will be an hour of prayer for you. I love when we do this because there are people that before they enter into this place for an hour, they will say, how in the world am I to pray for an hour? And when they leave, they say, time flew by. I can't I can't imagine how fast, or I never imagined how fast an hour could go by. From 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., you're going to pray off-site. Now, in the past, all prayer has happened in this room in our prayer campaigns. But in 2023, the cost of having snipers on the roof for security, it's a lot more than it was back in 2018, all right? For security purposes and just for some of the alarm issues we run into late at night, from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., you're just going to pray off-site. Now, let me make a case, or not a case, but let me just share the fruit that has come from some of those late night or early morning prayer times. Sometimes they're the slots that fill up the fastest. And sometimes it's the reason is because I think sometimes we like a challenge. We want the challenge of praying from midnight to 1 a.m. or 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. But let me, let me let you know, like I think that time is so important for this reason. We live in a time right now where anxiety and depression and loneliness is higher than ever before. Where people have more sleep issues than ever before. Where a lot of times it's late at night and early in the morning, temptation is knocking at the door like, like, hardly, like no other hour of the day. So for you to claim one of those hours, how you get a partner with God in a prayer time over the church in the time that we're praying rest and faithfulness and peace over each other, God may work in ways you may never know. So for 17 hours a day, we're going to be in this room. Seven hours a day, you'll be at home. For those who come into this space to pray, there will be prayer stations and you, there's no obligation for you to work through all the prayer stations. They will just be in this room to help guide you in a time of prayer. And for those of you who will pray online or off-site, there will be prayer prompts that I will send you to help guide you through your hour of prayer. As I said, there'll be a shepherd or a minister who will be here no matter what time you pray to open the door, to, allow you, to, to let you in, to pray over you as you enter into this space. And Wednesday night, April 5th at 6.30, which is when we have uh, uh, gatherings on Wednesday nights, uh, a few of us will gather in this room just to dedicate this 84 hours of prayer together. So I would love for you to come and join us Wednesday night at 6.30. Now, one more thing. And every single pew in this room, on the ends of the pews, there are index cards, just blank index cards. And these are for you to write out any prayer requests you may have in your life. And you can leave your name on those. And if you do, just know there will be dozens of people who may be praying over that card during our 84-hour prayer effort. 
There may be people that you want us to pray for in that time. And if so, just know there are going to be other people who pray over it. So you may choose to use initials or, or just make a mark, and God knows what that mark means. But this is for you. And on our back two tables in this room, we have six tables with communion. The back two, there are, there are buckets back there that have uh, prayer on them that you can drop these as you leave this space today. And for those of you online, if you go to the hub where there's a prayer request, and you can just mark your prayer request on there that you want that to be a part of the 84-hour prayer campaign. Now, you may be asking, there may be guests in the room that you aren't connected to this church, maybe it's your first time here, that can you fill out a card for us to pray over you too? And the answer is absolutely not. Like we, I'm just joking. Of course, of course you can fill out a, a, a card too. We would love to, to pray with you, to partner with you in this time. So uh, there's a table out front, and I hope you'll take a moment as we make our way to Fiesta here in just a little while to sign up for an hour for you, for, a fam for your family, a life group, or friends. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14 through 16. We'll kind of be in all three of those chapters this morning. What we're doing is we're studying the last week of the life of Jesus according to the gospel of John. And this morning we're going to be in a few different places from John chapter 14 through 16. Now, a word that I sometimes use that I think helps all of us is we live in times of great uncertainty. Some of you are experiencing an enormous amount of pain, whether it's chronic pain, emotional pain, social pain right now, and some of you are not. Some of you are experiencing some really hard times, whether it's in work or your financial situation, and some of us aren't. Some of us, there is stability and security in our lives right now. No matter where we are in our lives, we're in desperate need of God, right? We're in desperate need of God. We're going through hard times, there's pain. We're in desperate need of God. For those of you who everything is clicking right now in life, we're in desperate need of God. And the question we ask, no matter what season we're in, it's not just who am I in this season, but who is Jesus in my life? It's the question we never stop asking. Like, who is Jesus in my life? What role am I allowing Jesus to play in my life? So here's a statement I want us to know today. You ready? I know I am because I know I am. Can you repeat it after me? I know I am because I know I am. All right, now let's, let's do it again and maybe just put a little bit more feeling into it like you mean it, like with a little confidence. Maybe even hit your chest a little bit. Repeat after me, I know I am because I know I am. All right, and with that said, let's talk about mullets just for a minute, all right? I don't know who comes to mind when you think about mullets. When I think about good mullets I've seen in my life, Billy Ray Cyrus is like one of the first people to come to mind. I think about Mel Gibson, who rocked a mullet there for a little while. More in recent is Rihanna, because Rihanna can do her hair however Rihanna wants to do her hair. You got Mario Lopez or Slater from Say by the Bell, who was able to rock the mullet. And I don't know if you saw this a few weeks ago. I don't know who did this. Technology can allow us to do crazy things. Somebody, like had a picture or an image of every president in the United States and what they would look like with a mullet. There's Joe Biden who has this mullet. I don't know if that's what he would look like with a mullet or not. You have former President Donald Trump and maybe what he would look like with a mullet. Former President Barack Obama and maybe what he would look like with a mullet. And then you have Andre Agassi, who's not a president. Don't get confused, but I want to stay on Andre just for a moment. Because especially for those of us who grew up in the 90s, like anything we knew about tennis, if somebody were to ask, who comes to mind when you think about tennis? Andre Agassi was it. 
like the swagger he brought to the tennis court and the flash, I mean the gold earrings, the gold chain, everything was flashy. Clothes were flashy, his Nike shoes were flashy, and then he had this hair, this mullet that when he played, it was like a lion's golden mane, right? Just like flop, flying around everywhere. And you had Cannon, who released a brand new camera called Rebel. And they had signed Andre Agassi to a large endorsement deal, and he became the face of Rebel. In many ways, he was the Rebel. And now he became the face of the Rebel camera for Canon. And I don't know if you remember, but the commercials was, it was three words. You remember this? Image is everything. Image is everything. And then Andre Agassi, released his autobiography just a few years ago. And in that autobiography, he confessed that that wig, or that his hair was a wig. It was fake. And I felt cheated and lied to. <laughs> and he went on to talk about it. That what do you do when images everything? Like, this is the slogan. You're making millions of dollars off the slogan, yet you're also going bald. And in the book, he even talked about how earlier in his career, he, was, uh, he had this tennis match, uh, the French Open. He's in the finals, and he is the, he's, every, he's the favorite to win, and he lost in four sets. And he said the reason that he lost is at the very beginning of the match, his wig became loose. And he was scared that that wig was going to fall off, and if, if it did, he would be humiliated in front of the world. Now, if I lost in the finals... I'd probably make up some story about there being something loose in my head too, right? But, but it seems to be true. And what Andre Agassi faced in his life is something most of us probably face too. It's that sometimes we pretend to be somebody we're not because we don't want people to see who we really are. So we pretend to be something we're not because we're a little scared for people to see exactly who it is that we are. So in John chapter 14, verse 16, I'm so grateful Jesus didn't give in to the temptation to be somebody he wasn't. And Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment. He's been with them for three years. And now from John chapter 13 through 17, all this content that you read about, Jesus is within 12 hours of hanging on a cross right, to die for the sins of the world. Yet he is fully present in a moment with his disciples. Because I wonder if Jesus is thinking, I've been with them for three years, inviting them to all these places, all the teaching, all the things they've seen me do. Are they ready for what's about to come? And Jesus didn't, like he didn't, he wasn't somebody he wasn't, meaning that Jesus didn't use this time to offer false, false optimism or false hope or just to lift up things like, hey, just, uh, you know, don't worry, be happy. Everything's going to be all right. Like Jesus acknowledges there are really hard times we're in and there are really hard times you're about to be in. And what matters, it's not just that you look in a mirror and know who you are, it's that you look in a mirror and you, you know exactly who Jesus is during those hard times. So I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're in that room because I think all of us would be experiencing the same kind of uncertainty they were. I want you to imagine you're in that place and Jesus is talking about like going somewhere else and dying and on a cross and ascending into the heavens. Like it's, he's going somewhere where they can't come and the confusion and uncertainty that was upon them in that moment. 
And from John chapter 14 through 16, I'm going to place five verses in front of you of Jesus acknowledging hard times. And some of these may stick for you. Like not just as something that you hear Jesus saying to the apostles in that room, but right now things you're struggling with in your life, this is what you need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking into your life. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In John 14, verse 27, It's the peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In John 15, verse 21, after acknowledging the persecution is on its way, he says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away or so that you will not stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And in John 16, verse 33, and we'll keep this on the screen for just a moment, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, some of you may be going through like some hard times right now, times of uncertainty, and one of those verses is exactly what you need right now in your life. To hear the voice of Jesus say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Or to speak the peace of God over you in your trouble. And for some of you, and I think this is so important, sometimes the way I like to talk about Scripture is there may be a Scripture that doesn't really hit right now in your life, but it's one you need to put in your back pocket or right next to you, a store away in your memory because the moment, the time in your life, the season in your life will come where you will need to draw from verses like this. That God, in my pain or in my trouble or in this season of uncertainty, I need to be reminded, let my heart not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. It's in this time that Jesus is with his disciples for a few hours. We read a few chapters of it. That Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear, not just who they were. He wants to make it abundantly clear who he was. So in the Gospel of John, you have the seven I am statements. And each one, it's like Jesus is claiming to be God. I am, which God calls himself in Exodus chapter 3. And these seven I am statements in John chapter 6, it's I am the bread of life. You get that statement twice. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You get that in John chapter 8 and 9. Two different stories, but the same thing. I am the light of the world. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. So to get into eternity, to step into this life with God, he's, he's what we enter through. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus shepherds his people well. John chapter 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says this before raising Lazarus from the dead. And then the sixth and seventh statements we have, these I am statements, they come in the last few hours before Jesus is going to hang on the cross. And John chapter 14 Sitting there with the disciples, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This comes in a moment when people are like, okay, you said you're going somewhere, but we can't go there. And Jesus says, you can go where I'm going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say I'm a way or a truth or you know, some light out there. It's like, I'm it. Like, I'm, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. In your life, there is not a moment of your life that Jesus is ever going to say, I don't feel like being your way today. There's not a moment of your life when you may have a cloud of uncertainty hovering over you where Jesus is like, I don't feel like being your way. Jesus delights in being your way. Now, sometimes in our lives, what we want is to pave our own way and then for Jesus to come alongside of us as we pave our own way or walk our own way. And Jesus has no interest in coming alongside of us as we walk the way. But Jesus is the one who says, I I am the way. And think about him saying this in the context that he's saying it in. With uncertainty about what's happening. With someone they're, that they're following who's about to die on a cross. And Jesus is saying, in the hard times you're going to face in your life, right now and in the future, I am and I will always be the way. So can you repeat after me? Thank you, Jesus, for being our way. And then the seventh of the I am statements is in John chapter 15. When Jesus says, I'm the vine and you were the branches. This is the only one of the I am statements when Jesus follows it up with I am and then you are. This one's I am this and you are that. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And think about this in the context that Jesus is talking to the disciples in. Because they're facing hard times, there's uncertainty, and they're not really sure how these next few hours and how this whole following Jesus thing is about to play out. And Jesus is saying, no matter what happens, I need you to attach to me. Like, I am inviting you to stay connected to me. Not just to be close to me, to be connected to me. This is Jesus in some of the darkest moments, letting them know, no matter what dark season you're in, I'm the way through and in and over the dark season. No matter what season you're in, I'm the one who is asking you to stay connected to me even when it's hard. So let's go back to the statement from earlier in, this, in, in my message. Right, we know this. Like, I know I am because I know I am, right? Can you repeat after me? I know I am. And it's all right to point because I know I am. Because I know I am. Steve Carter was pastoring a church in Chicago a few years ago. He's going through a really hard time in, in church leadership. There were a lot of issues going on in that church. And they had Bob Goff come in to speak. Now, a number of us, you've, you've read Bob Goff's books. You've probably seen him speak. I mean, the guy has more energy than anybody I've ever known. He's a walking Red Bull. Just full of, full of love, grace, truth. In his book, it was a bestseller. At the end of his book, he left a cell phone number for anybody who reads the book, you can call, Bob, to this day, you can call that number in that book and Bob Goff will pick up the phone. It may be a brief conversation, but he'll pick it up. The guy just loves people. And Bob Goff was there in Chicago with Steve Carter and after the service, they're standing around and they're just talking and Steve's sharing a lot of things going through his life. And Bob said, Steve, I got a question for you. And Steve was like, what is it? And Bob said, which way is north? And Steve's like, I, don't, I didn't know what else to do. I just pointed up. I was like, that's north. And Bob starts laughing. And if you've ever heard Bob Goff speak, you know what his laugh is like, right? He just starts laughing like, yeah, it's not north. And then out of his pocket, he pulled a compass. And it was, I mean, a cheap thing. He probably bought it 
Dollar General or something, but he opened it up in a typical Bob Goff fashion. He starts walking around until, he, until the needle pointed north, and when it did, he was so giddy and excited, like, that's it, that's it, that's north right there. And Steve's over there like, okay, yeah, okay, that's north. What does this have to do with anything we're talking about? And Bob looked at Steve, and Bob said, Steve, the Bible says that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is the true north. So wake up every day and fix your heart, your mind, and your eyes on Jesus. And everything else is going to be all right. He said, wake up every day and you remind yourself where true north is. And you fix your eyes on Jesus and you go that way. And as you do, you take as many people with you as possible. And that's it. I want so much of my life and my ministry and my friendship to people to be about reminding folks that in life, God does not promise that you will not have pain. But in God, you do not have to be defined by your pain. Like, I want so much of my life and witness to remind people that you, there's no promise that you're not going to have hard times in your life, but you don't have to be defined by your hard times. And there's no promise of God that there's not going to be seasons of uncertainty that hover around us, but you don't have to be defined by that uncertainty. For Jesus is always your way. So every Sunday morning, we go to a table where we take the bread and the cup, and today, I want you to take the bread and the cup and to be reminded of what Jesus has done to be your way. And as you move to tables, sometimes people gather in groups and they pray, but we pass by people and as we do, just a simple reminder today, just remind somebody, somebody you walk by to say, Jesus is your way. Jesus is your way. Jesus is your vine. Stay connected to Jesus. Today, over on my right, we're going to have Jenna, who's here to receive people for prayer. And on my left, Laura Moore will be receiving for people for prayer. Reggie Lee, one of our shepherds, is going to be up here immediate, my, to my immediate right, and I'll be over here on the left. And Mark Powell, one of our shepherds, our elders, will be in the back to receive you. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes? And Jesus, as we enter into this moment to commit, to connect, to be reminded of what it's all about, we take the bread and the cup today as a sacrament, as elements, as reminders of a story that has changed everything. And Jesus, today, with all of the hundreds of voices that are shouting at us, trying to tell us who we are or what we're not, we pray that your voice will be heard louder than them all reminding us today who we are in you and reminding us just who you are. You are our way. When it's hard for us to even know where there is a way. You are the vine that even through hard times, you just keep inviting us to stay connected to you. So God, today as we take the bread and the cup, may we, we be reminded of all you have done to reach to us. And as I often pray, God, I pray today through the bread and the cup, that we will have the courage to reach to you. And for those who feel so weary right now, they can't reach. May they see your hand reaching for them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and the whole church said, amen.